Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. Looks like they were poisoned. There's no reason Julian would do something like this. He's a 13-year-old boy. What did you do to your parents? They died. He's so far beyond anything you can understand. Claire Fallon. And I'm Emma Gray. We're culture writers, podcasters, and hosts of the show Love to See It. Every week, we give an unapologetically feminist dissection of reality dating shows, rom-coms, and other romance narratives. We unpack all the weird messages they send us about love, sex, and dating. And we dive into all the details with special guests like actors, authors, and cultural critics. You can find Love to See It wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop every Tuesday. Hello and welcome to Still Watching The Sinner, brought to you by USA Network. I'm Emma Stefanski, the weekend editor for Vanity Fair. And I'm Matt Singer, the editor of ScreenCrush.com. We're here today to talk about part one of the second season of The Sinner, which airs on USA on Wednesdays at 10 p.m. Eastern. The Center is an anthology series, so season two picks up with a brand new story. But there is a connective thread in the character played by Bill Pullman, Detective Harry Ambrose, who we'll talk to later in the episode. But first, let's talk about what we're dealing with in the new season. What are we dealing with? We're dealing with a lot of stuff here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, like you said, it's a new story mm-hmm. with the, with Bill Pullman sort of been upped from he's he used to be the and Bill Pullman. And right. now he is starring Bill Pullman. Right. He's the only character who's continued forward into this season. Uh, but the story starts with these brand new characters we've never seen before. Uh, a family, seemingly a family, driving along. The car breaks down. They wind up at a motel. And then uh, the son, Julian, apparently murders his parents. And In a very shocking s- sequence. Deeply disturbing <laughs> and shocking way. I like how we're, we're just describing it. Oh, and then he murders his parents. Yeah, you know, as you do. Yes. It's really distressing. I watched it again uh, today and was just, or last night, and was still, had the same extremely perturbed reaction to the whole thing. Yeah, I think we'll want to talk about that scene more mm-hmm. maybe in a little bit. But anyway, um, that's sort of the way we're introduced to this new cast because after the murder, we then meet uh, the detective who's sort of assigned to the case, Heather, played by Natalie Paul. And we also meet her father, played by the excellent Tracy Letts. He is, I guess he's the owner of that diner in town. Yes. And Heather... 
calls Harry Ambrose, the Bill Pullman character, and says, I could use your help perhaps on this case. I need you to. You know my dad. Yeah. You're from. He is from this town. He left under mysterious circumstances years earlier. He is convinced to come back for the first time in a long time. And he's very, case. he's very uncomfortable with everything that's going on. He's very uncomfortable talking to people he knew in the past. He's very uncomfortable with the case. Uh, one thing that I love that Bill Pullman does with this character is that every time he has to talk to somebody who's like, oh, yeah, I remember your family. He just looks kind of physically sick. He has throughout this show, both season, he has what I call the Bill Pullman side eye mm-hmm. where he's always looking over his shoulder at people. He has that little smile. Yes. Yes. Like he's watching. Yes. So he arrives in town. He joins the case sort of in like an advisory role. He investigates what's happening with this young boy, Julian. And I mean, I guess to sort of bring it to the end, and maybe this won't be too surprising if you've seen the first season of The Sinner where Mm -hmm. there was sort of constantly – rug-pulling moments. I mean, one of the things yeah. I like about this show is that it's not so much a whodunit as it is a why done it. They they show you the murder in the beginning of each season, and it's very clear sort of who did it. But then, you know, the, the Bill Pullman's character is like trying to figure out why. Everyone else wants to be like, well, it's an open and shut case. And he he's the one guy who's not convinced and who wants to sort of dig into the reasons why. And so he's trying to figure out the why and at at a certain point we uh, get to meet the other major character who's sort of delayed and being introduced until the end and that's the Carrie Coon character Vera who reveals dun 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 I'll provide my own sound effects I don't care good she is the mother of the Julian character and that's how our first episode ends it's a pretty shocking conclusion to awesome cliffhanger what we think is going on but then it's not. Mm. But we do actually meet her a little bit before. Some flashbacks. There are some weird flashbacks. Yes. Involving like a sound therapy machine mm-hmm. and some weird talks with Julian, our hero villain protagonist that I think we should probably talk about because that's going to be important later on. Right. I mean, structurally, it's just like the first season in terms of mm-hmm. we're following the story and the events of the story are sort of slowly... The the, 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 the the again the why done it is slowly revealed through these flashbacks, uh, some involving Julian and the Carrie Coon character, and some involving Harry Ambrose too. We're seeing some of his incredibly disturbing childhood. Yeah, there was some event in his past involving fire and boiling water. Yes, uh, that and is clearly mother. traumatic. Yeah, and his mom. Yes, and that's I think yeah that's what the first season does a lot of too is like you get this backstory of the characters who are involved in this crime, but then you also kind of knit that together with what's going on in Harry Ambrose's mind. Right. And one of the things I like to do after I watch the the, the whole episode, you know, you have that bah, bah, bah <laughs> moment, was to go back and watch the beginning again mm-hmm. um, and to see because you, you, you when you're watching it, you just assume, oh, this is a, a mother and a father and their son. And then to see some of the little the little teases that are put into the script there to kind of that are you don't notice the first time through like the, the mother and the father wind up like having sex right before Julian comes into the room which the first time you're watching it you're like these are really weird parents but then you realize well actually they're 
not his parents. And she even says that at some point when they're talking. Yes. Right before that, she's like, we're such bad You're parents. You're such a bad father. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. And, and it seems just like dirty talk, but then you realize there's sort of this hidden meaning. I also liked that uh, when the quote-unquote father walks into the room, he's like, he's getting us tea from the breakfast bar. He insisted. And it's like, oh, what a nice young man he is. And then he kills them with the tea. Not such a nice young man. He's Shadow Julian. That's Which is right. a concept introduced later in the episode. Yes. But yeah, what I like what I like about the show in particular is that it's a very psychological, very like there are things hidden in your mind that can come out and it's very distressing. It's a lot like a horror show, I think, in that way. And this season in particular is really digging deep down into that stuff. Yeah, that what you're sort of describing there. One of the things that I noticed watching it, and maybe I'm reading way too much into this. I've been known to do that at times. You can just ask my wife. Is when they first arrive at that motel in the very early stages of this episode, we see the motel sign, you know, the establishing shot. And only the M in the motel sign is lit up, which made me think of the Fritz Lang movie M, which is about a movie about a murderer who is definitely guilty. There's no suspense about whether or not he did it, just like Julian in this show, seemingly, but who is also kind of sympathetic and who kind of calls the justice system into question. And I was just looking at it. It's been a while since I've seen M. I didn't have time to rewatch it, but I was reading about the films trying to trying to kind of refresh my memory. And I found Roger Ebert's review of the film and he called it a portrait of a diseased society. And I feel like that's a perfect description of both seasons of The Sinner, where we meet these people who seemingly, are, they're, they're wholesome, all-American, you know, people on road trips, people hanging out at the beach, you know, small-town Americana. And then you peel back that layer and there's this dark, horrible stuff below the surface. And, and the famous speech in M with with Peter Lorre's character, who is the killer, he is basically like put in front of this kangaroo court. He has to defend himself. And the line that's very famous from the end of it is, who knows what it's like to be me? And what you're describing about how we really get to know these people, like that's exactly what the show is. It shows you these people and you your immediate reaction is, well, Julian is a horrible, disgusting person. And what you slow, like you slowly peel back the layers of the onion. And we, we should say we've seen up to episode three as we're recording this. And so that's kind of how it works with all the characters. You think you understand them. And the more you see, the more you realize you maybe you don't. For a crime show, it's incredibly empathetic to all of its characters, even like the people who did the stuff, mostly because the people who do the crimes are doing them kind of without, they're not malicious people. Like they're not doing it out of hatred. They're doing it for some other reason that maybe they don't even understand, which is something that calls back to the first season. And I won't spoil it for you because I don't know if you've watched the run to the end. Okay, don't spoil it for I me. won't spoil it, but what you think is going on is not what's going on, unless mm. you're really good at spotting trends. But it's always something that comes up, like right at the last, like right at the finale, you finally figure out like, oh my gosh, it was this all along. So I hesitate to say what I think is going on in this show, especially since I've only seen the first three episodes. I Because I know that it's going to 
probably turn the tables on me at some point in the right. season. That's one of the things that makes this show actually really fun is yeah. that it's hard to get ahead of this show. There's some shows you watch and you can, oh, I know what's going to happen. I know who's going to do this. Like, and th- what this show, they're, com- they're, they're very upfront. Like, here's the murder. This mm-hmm. is who did it. This is what happened. And they still find ways to surprise you, which I, 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 I find kind of the most fun thing about it. Is that I'm, I like I love <clears throat> I like to think that I'm very uh, smart about these sorts of things, but I'm constantly caught off guard in a good way. Yeah. By the the twists in uh, in this show. And every episode ends on like a crazy cliffhanger. Great cliffhanger. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I don't know if that feel like that's something that TV has kind of gotten away from, especially in the streaming age. Mm. And this show has those great cliffhangers where, I, you know, just speaking for myself, we watched the first three episodes. I was like, I want episode four right now. I know, and, me too. <laughs> That was not available to us, which I was deeply upset about. I really want to know what happens next. Smashing your hands on the keyboard. Yeah. What happened? It didn't didn't work either. Nothing (laughs) happened. I just have a broken computer now. Yeah, well. Did you have any questions about this episode? I had one question that I hope gets answered at some point in the show. What's your question? How did Julian know how to make poison tea? Yeah, I want to know that too. When I was, I think he's, is he 11? Is he 13? He's 13. When I was 13, I didn't know how to make regular tea (laughs) when i was 20 i didn't know how to make regular tea so the fact that he not only knows how to make tea but knows how to make poison tea is very impressive for a a young man of his age so i'm hoping at some point in the show we will learn where he acquired these tea making abilities i looked up and i'm not sure if this is i mean i don't know if this is going to come back but it probably i don't know again i hesitate to say to make statements full-on because i know that i'm probably going to be wrong but I looked up Jimson weed, yes, which is the plant that he uses to kill these people, mm-hmm. and it's apparently a hallucinogenic that is used in a lot of traditional medicine. And I kind of wondered if maybe uh, Carrie Coon's character Vera, his mother, introduced this kind of therapy with him in some of her sessions, because you get these flashbacks of him talking to her about doing something bad. And she ends up sort of reassuring him, being like, you have to let the badness into you and accept that that's a part of you. And so I think maybe he learned about this Jimson weed from her or from somebody else. We'll definitely talk more about her in future episodes, mm-hmm. but I like I like that idea. I find it very plausible. Thank you. I, I, you want to know what, so. I, what stupid little detail I looked up? Yes. Uh, 1035. 1035. That's the radio number. Oh, yeah. That the detective gets on. I got to go. And, and, and Tracy is like, what's a 1035? <laughs> a 1035 is a major crime alert. Okay. So, so it could be anything. Right. But I, I feel like <laughs> a double homicide probably qualifies. That's a major feels, crime. Yeah, that is a major crime. That's so I felt like that was a good uh, detail there. Extremely a crime. Yeah. Let's talk a little more about Bill Pullman's character, Harry Ambrose, since he's the the only character to, to cross over from season one to season two. What what do you feel? Do you feel like we've learned uh, more about him in this season than we did in the first season? We are learning more about his past, I think, in this season in particular, because in the first season, you get a lot of his relationship with his wife and his relationship with his like dominatrix friend who he visits occasionally and who's kind of like his relationship with her is really kind of messing with his relationship with his wife. Um, and so it's clear in the first season that there's like stuff with this man going on (laughs) Um, yeah he's got stuff that maybe influences the way that he thinks about 
crime and like bad things that people do, maybe it makes them a more empathetic person, which I think is a good quality in any law enforcement um, official. But we're definitely learning about his childhood now in this season, in particular because he's back in his hometown of Keller, which is in upstate New York. Yes. Um, yeah. A couple hours from Niagara Falls. That's right. Yeah. Which is where Julian's his That was not his destination, <laughs> suppo- supposedly. Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if we found there was more to that story later on, but that's, that's at least where they say they're going in the mm-hmm. beginning of this episode is to Niagara Falls. Yeah, I, I won't I won't lie. I was a little disappointed so far in this season that we haven't gotten more of the weird sex stuff. The stuff. It seems like that's over, which is like that's a little disappointment. Maybe he can't find anyone to do that in his mm. hometown. <laughs> Not kind of weird. He's he's only been in town for a few days. He's at this on the point. lookout. Let's give him time. I'm hoping that it ret- <laughs> returns because I found <laughs> that to be an enjoyable, enjoyable maybe the wrong word, but a. a, a I was going to say fun, but that might also be the wrong word. But uh, it was a part an interesting. Thank you, mm-hmm. an interesting part. Of season one. he uh, He's also having dreams yes. about his past. And that um, allows him to kind of talk to Julian about his dreams because Julian is having nightmares too. Yes. And Julian's nightmares are a little bit more intense, I think. Maybe because they're memories. I don't know. I don't know what they are. One other thing that I love from both seasons about Harry Ambrose is the way he's shot. The director of the first couple of episodes of the first season and the first episode here is a gentleman by the name of Antonio Campos. A very interesting indie. Generally, I know him from from film, making interesting indie films like After School. He tends to have a lot of interesting sort of off kilter framings. And the thing I love about how he films Bill Pullman in the show is, literally in in the first season, there's one scene where he's standing on a beach in broad daylight, and he's somehow in shadows. He is never like, uh, like brightly lit he just is like he it looks like he stepped out of like an old film noir he's got the rumpled suit and and his his tie is always like sort of unbuttoned slightly and literally he can be in in you know the and the other characters in the scenes will be well lit their faces will be bright and for some reason this character just carries whether it's this metaphorical darkness or what he always is sort of like shrouded in shadows which to me is so perfect for this kind of rumpled dark brooding uh, hero of these creepy mystery stories i was actually thinking about this while i was watching this season in particular because he is always kind of shadowy and i feel like if he was a cartoon character he'd have like a little cloud over his head <laughs> perpetually <laughs> oh, but yeah he's he's great i'm so happy he's back i'm so happy he's the through line of this season the show and speaking of Bill Pullman. I actually got a chance to talk to him about this season and about this first episode. Uh, so here's a little bit of that. On the line now, we have Bill Pullman, who plays Detective Harry Ambrose on The Sinner. Thank you so much for being here, Bill. Thank you very much, Alan, for having me. So I just wanted to start off by asking, what what is it like being back? Like, are you you're excited? You feel good about it? Yeah, yeah. The first season was, you know, eight episodes, and uh, it was. I'm not really that uh, experienced in series television, and uh, it was one of the happy episodes of that. In that, you know, I've been warned. Oh my gosh, you know, you don't know how many people are going to watch it, and usually it goes down, down, down. But it was good viewership and good reaction to it, and uh, I think. Um, and it's uh, put a little pressure on doing the second season. 
<laughs> but uh, that's the good news. <laughs> yeah. Aside, I guess, from the new setting, the new characters, how would you say that season two feels different from season one? You know, there's a, a focus for for uh, kind of a range of characters now, you know, whereas first season dealt with uh, Cora's mystery of why she did something. And then the second season, it begins with this crime uh, that the boy... Um, Julian commits, and then you it drags it moves out into a whole network of people that Ambrose deals with that uh, that are all kind of presenting same kind of ambiguities and uh, challenges to really get at the root of what uh, everyone's uh, motivations are. Do we finally learn like more about him? Like who? What kind of person? he is and why he, you know, chose this job of this, to be this detective on these horrific cases. Yeah. 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 I think, you know, it's sometimes, uh, you know, this, this idea of, uh, he's somebody who in a way doesn't want to be seen. He wants to be the, in outwardly wants to be the finder. And, uh, but in the interior journey, he becomes, you know, a finder of himself, challenging, and there's a lot in him that repels that uh, instinct to find out more about himself. And, you know, and he underst- you know, he's aware that his right hand doesn't always admit what his left hand is doing, and um, but he does not invite people to get into his stuff, as you would say. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, so he's alone in the uh, beginning of the second one, you know, whereas he said he really kind of uh, failed at uh, his intimacies and with, with resistance to really look at it all. And uh, now he's just trying to abstain from everything and stay on the rails while he's involved. But it doesn't, it doesn't uh, prove to be entirely successful, I guess you'd say. What is something in the season that you really enjoyed that you got to do that you maybe wanted to do or didn't get to do in the first season? Like, is there, is there something? I loved all the things with the Julian character, the, you know, trying to really uh, coming upon this kid who's got a freaky kind of uh, intelligence and realizing that I am at a loss as to how, to reach him, you know, and, uh, and the actor is really good, Alicia, and he has really got, um, a lot of, uh, got great qualities. And then, uh, the stuff with, uh, Carrie Coon, I really enjoy because it's a lot about trying to become, you know, Ambrose really coming upon somebody who it, he meets a match, you know, with her because she has this kind of, um, integration of self that he doesn't have and she reads his you know that there's cracks in him and uh he's aware that she's seeing a lot more than other people so that's you know something very new and then i think the stuff with uh the best friend jack you know the kind of um uh, distance that Ambrose tries to keep from somebody like that who is expecting to kind of have some bonds from the past and then um 
those things are, you know, all those things that make Ambrose so uncomfortable in the world, I liked. And then I also like the fact that the writers know, you know, we don't really set it in my hometown. It's a kind of a amalgam of things, of towns and names and everything, so that there's no lawsuits or nobody's going to come after us. <laughs> but there's some references to things that they stick in there that uh, just because they know it kills me. And uh, so when I hear uh, words like Hartsville, New York, or West Almond, or these things are towns that I pass through in or have some deep connection to. And uh, so when I, you know, we're tracking somebody moving on Route 21 from one place to another, I know, I have this incredible uh, you know, life and art mixing together that I like a lot about this season. Thank you so much for talking with us. Thank you so much. And that's it for this week's episode of Still Watching The Sinner. Join us again on August 19th after still watching Sharp Objects when we'll be discussing parts two and three of The Sinner Season 2. This episode was edited and produced by Daniel Roth.